Because what I think you're seeing is a really rather small group of people, but a very dominant and loud group of people kind of dominating the narratives and shutting everyone else down. Because people are kind of scared. Hello there. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. And as you know, I'm a massive football fan. Now, Sportsbet.io doesn't just cover football. They also cover tennis, motorsports, US sports, and they even have esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to Sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot io forward slash promotions. Okay, let's talk about Exodus Wallet, who I will be using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as many of you know, UX is super important to me. I'm always going on about it. So when Exodus reached out to me and said, Pete, we want to sponsor the show, I was like, okay, cool, but I've got to play with the app. And you know what? They crushed it. The experience is so good that I am happy to recommend it to my friends, my family, and of course you. Now, Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Also, let's talk about Casa, the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, with the Bitcoin price high this year, I know some of you have been making some great gains. And with forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for your Bitcoin to be lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. You see, a Casa multi-sig wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And you get to distribute these wallets into different locations, protecting you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, you can hit me up on my DMs or drop me an email. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Hope you enjoy this one. If you want to join the discussion, you can hit me up on our Telegram group or you can drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Okay, on to the interview. Well, the question was... Um if you if you want to kind of figure out how somebody thinks, you ask somebody, why do you think people voted for Trump? Right? Because you're going to get very specific answers from different kinds of people about it. So you asking, so if you were asking me, would yeah. you be asking me why I voted for Trump no. or asking me why I think... Why do you think other people voted for Trump? I think, hmm, well, I think there's a range of reasons. Mm-hmm. I think there's... The, the, the easy one is there are people who voted for Trump because he's Republican and they will only ever vote Republican. Right. Um, the Dark Lord could, <laughs> uh, could get the nomination for the Republican Party. And, and they'll still vote, yeah. They'll still vote. So there's those. Let's forget sure. those. Let's talk about the, the swing voters who, or people who might have always been Democrat voters. And I think, again, there's a range. I think some mm-hmm. people voted for Trump because... They found him refreshing mm-hmm. and interesting. I think some people voted for Trump as a backlash to how extreme uh, left parts of the Democrat Party have become. I think some people voted for him because they thought he was funny and interesting. Right. Um, so I think there's a range of 
Well, the way that you've already approached the, the question says a lot about your way of thinking, right? Because you're, you are thinking about the different ways that people think. Okay. Whereas you're not putting everyone in this like one category where some people are probably going to answer the question, say, because they're dumb or they're racist, or, right? And that says a lot about how they think. And it's a lot harder to, say, have a great conversation with them or change their mind or, or have that open-mindedness, right? Uh, if they're seeing, a, you know, they're pegging such a huge group of people as one. So I think it just gives you like a sense of how somebody might think. So I, that's why I, I thought that might be like a good question to ask people to get a sense of, of how they, you know, approach things in the first place. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. Um, but then I guess... Yeah. In doing this job, mm-hmm. if you're a person who interviews people, you, you're either somebody who is within a niche camp and therefore you interview everyone within that niche camp. Right. So I'm arguably in a Bitcoin niche camp and historically only interview Bitcoin people, but I'm trying to get out of that. Yeah. I, I find that that keeps me in this like restricted box. But on the political spectrum, you can have somebody like a Tucker Carlson or a uh, Don Lemon who very much only want to speak to people who repeat the things within their echo chamber. Um, but then you'll get somebody like Rogan, who I've talked about a lot, I'm a big fan of. I, I don't just watch him, I study him and I learn from him. Mm. You know, I, I always think if you're doing a job and you want to get better at it, you find the best and you try and understand what they're good at. And I think what's great about him is he says what he thinks. He's just him. And I think that's one of the best things you can do in this job is just try and be you. And yeah. Me, I'm, I'm kind of dumb and I'm curious. I'm not particularly... I, I get to interview really smart people, people like yourself, people like Nick Carter, Glassley, all these amazing people, and they're so intelligent. And I get to sit and ask some questions. And I, all I'm trying to do is... Like, my only goal is for me to learn from them. But that's genuinely the best approach and I think that's why like somebody like Rogan has been so successful I I don't think of Rogan as being and I'm sure he doesn't think of himself as necessarily being like the most intellectual person on earth um he's curious so he must treat a lot and he maybe knows a little bit about a lot of things and the thing that draws somebody like me towards him is because he's able to have these conversations, long form conversations with such a huge variety of people on all spectrums in different fields. And he's genuinely curious. And yes, he's very much himself. Um, So maybe sometimes the questions that he asks, maybe they aren't always the most brilliant questions, but A, a lot of times people want to know things that, you know, answers to questions that are not always like the most brilliant things, right? What he's thinking is probably something that a lot of people are thinking, so they're curious. And um, and just the interactions, they just feel very free. And I wish we had a lot more curiosity, you know, in, in the world versus there's just this tendency to just want to defend your side or put your point of view forward. But curiosity by its nature means that you're open to, you know, any point of view, any idea. It doesn't mean you have to take it on. It doesn't have to mean that you agree with it. But it means that there is a certain open-mindedness and that's like something that's very much missing. Well, that's why he kicked CNN's ass this week. Yes, he did. (laughs) He did. Because I think there is a growing 
uh, recognition of the damage that some of these media organizations are doing to social cohesion, and, mm -hmm. and especially here in the US. Um, I think it's useful to travel and see the world, and the US is a unique place. I love it. It's, I've never, there's no country I've traveled to more. I've been here like 70 times. I love it. I love the people. I love red states, blue states. I love traveling around. I love talking to people here. The media side is d detached from the rest of my experience in America. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what city, state I'm in, I have such a great time, meet great people, and have all these different conversations. But there's this like media layer, which we're going to talk about, which is a really unfair reflection on the US. And I think there's this growing recognition of the damage it's doing. And what happened this week is Rogan called them out for lying. Mm -hmm. And they reacted and went on the attack. And I don't think people are buying it anymore. Oh, what was the... I, I didn't see the reaction. What was the reaction? Well, so they... Dr. Was it Sanjay Gupta? Oh, yeah. So they got him back on. Okay. And they challenged him. And I imagine he was under a little bit of pressure as well. A lot. I almost kind of felt bad for him in a way because I don't think he's, you know, he's not calling the shots at CNN. Nope. So when Rogan went after him, I really went after him and like, how could you work for an organization like this? Um, which, you know, that's a challenging position to be in. And he's not, you know, at least he's going on Rogan. And I know he benefits mm. from that as well. But at least he's like willing to have the conversation. But he was like definitely squealing under the pressure, which uh, I mean, the only thing that can save someone in a way is like honesty. Well, and I wish, you know, I understand his position, but probably would have been better to just be very honest about it. Yeah. Uh I, I appreciate the, what you're saying about the squirming because I, I think he, f he was probably in that moment thinking he was trying to be political. He was. He was trying to give a political answer yeah. to what Rogan rightly called CNN out on. Mm -hmm. And what would have been really interesting is if he'd actually, like you said, just been completely authentic and would have been super interesting if he'd have just quit CNN. I think as a career move, that could have been a very good career move for him because... Mm -hmm. It would have been somebody just stand up and going, do you know what? You're right. You're right. That fuck them. I'm, I'm, I'm done. He does not strike me as that kind of person. No. I don't know him very well, but just like look, looking at the way he, he behaves. Yeah, he's somebody who wants to fit in. He wants to be part of the in-group. A lot of these things, are problems I think are created because of that. Um, in terms of journalism, you know, obviously I've, I've had a lot of conversations lately. I mean, I don't think I've met a single person who thinks that journalism or the media is doing a great job right now. And there's so many reasons for that. And I haven't given up on journalism myself. You're like, a fantastic journalist yourself. <laughs> this is why we're here, because I read one of your articles, I reached out to you, and I said, I, I want to do this. And I said, I want to do it in person mm -hmm. with you, because uh, I think you have a really interesting perspective on uh, the current media landscape. So. Sorry to interrupt you. No, I, I really appreciate that. But I, I think there are some journalists who are doing a good job. I think, um, you know, w within their niches, I think there is a, 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 it's very difficult to tell certain kinds of stories. You know, you definitely get rejected and you're never told why the story is really rejected. They might say, you know, you might get a different kind of excuse, um, but you sort of know that there's certain things that are off limits. And if you want to stay in the industry, you feel like you have to comply. And I've been pretty upfront and honest about 
um, what I think of the media landscape. And the reason being is not because I hate journalism or journalists, quite the contrary. You love it. I love it. And I want to see it improve. And that, and that's the thing. Like, um, even in politics, like a lot of people say on the left, they um, are unhappy with what's happening within their political system. But sometimes that pushes them further to the right, although the right has kind of become more... <laughs> closer to the center as, as of recently, for the most part. But, um, you know, they do get pushed to these extremes versus I think it's more important to have that responsibility to try to fix what, you know, was what's in your house, basically. Well, I think good, honest journalism is one of the most important jobs in the world. Well, and that should be the goal, right? Mm -hmm. um, journalism should be A, about curiosity, and two, it should be about getting as close to the truth as possible, right? And how do you get as close to the truth as possible? You have to look at things and dig at things from, from different points of views. You have to gather as much data as possible. You have to ask the right questions. And if you don't do that, you know, you, you sort of fail. And often journalism has become something where you're like supporting your own point of view, which is fine, but it's called an opinion piece, right? And, and that has a place. I think it has value. But, you know, often I'm reading something in the news section and it's clearly an opinion piece. It even mm -hmm. has the voice of the author. And a lot of journalists openly say that they are... Um, well, they, they, they basically call themselves uh, activists, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's not a hidden thing. It's like they're very upfront of it, about it. They're very proud of that. And that to me, you know, it goes so far away from what journalism should be. And, you know, just because you're looking at different points of views and you're challenging uh, yourself with different questions, doesn't mean you, you, you then take on just any point of view you try to find the strongest ones. And that's that's something that always really bothers me on, on talk shows. If you go and say, you know, a Fox show or a CNN show, they all do the same thing. So they'll have a token person that they'll bring on that will represent a different point of view. You know, so CNN is going to have somebody who's conservative and uh, Fox is going to have somebody who's on the left. And usually they'll pick somebody who's maybe not even the strongest person, right? They'll, they'll, mm -hmm. they'll pick, pick somebody weak. And what that does is so, they, so that they can win their argument, right? And that has zero value because in order to have a strong perspective on something, things have to be challenged right? They have to do battle with each other. Something that I'm like a big fan of is like ideas always have to do battle with each other. That's why in any conversation that I have, if I have a particular opinion on something, and I certainly do have some opinions. You got a few. I got a few. Hey, uh, guilty. And what happens is that, you know, I want people to challenge my point of view. I want really smart people to do it. I want them to do it in, in smart, you know, in respectful ways, I've learned the difference. Okay, so not on Twitter. <laughs> yes, and uh, I, I think it's important how that comes at you. You know, the discourse does to have to have some some level of mutual respect. But go ahead and challenge me a hundred percent. And why? It's a it's actually a gift to me. It's a value to me because if you challenged me and you challenged me, um, either. If I win that challenge, you know, it reinforces my point of view. I have a stronger belief in it. I have stronger ways of backing it up. Or maybe I'm going to shift a little because my point of view isn't supported as well as I thought, right? And, and, the, ability, and the fact that I'm now closer to the truth, 
that's a gift. So I, I love that. And I love that about, um, you know, Milton, uh, not Milton Friedman, Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost, you know, he was a devout Catholic. And yet he was talking about, you know, the devil and he really encouraged challenging the Catholic religion for the very same reason. And at that time, I'm sure it was not very popular, but, you know, I think he had some goodwill on his I've, side. I've not read Paradise Lost, but I was into a old heavy metal band called Paradise Lost. Oh, yeah. well, they I were clearly inspired. By the book. By the book. But I mean, it's it's the devil, right? And and, and the idea of the devil is already, it's like the challenger, right? And, and a lot of religions, um, you know, some religions do see the devil as like evil and all that kind of stuff. But really, like, I, I prefer to take a look at the devil in, in the sense of like the challenger. Mm-hmm. And the challenge, it's so necessary. You, you have to have that in order for things to grow and get better. If you're... If you've never had any challenge, how, how are things changing? So where do you think the breakdown has happened with mm. regards to media and journalism? Because there's a couple of clear things that have changed in society. We, we've had the growth of the internet, which means before we used to go and buy a newspaper or you'd watch the news and that would be it and maybe you'd discuss it with a friend. But anything that exists or happens within the news is now discussed and debated on social media and that comes along with all manner of bots and uh, biases and propaganda that argues against the points. Or And it's very hard to try and get to the truth. I think COVID is a great example of this. It's so hard to get to the truth of COVID. Uh, it's a very complicated subject with multiple strands. Um, where do you think the breakdown has been? And I, I have... I'm going to talk, after your answer, I'm going to talk to you about uh, a, a video I watched which did talk about this. Okay. Yeah, I, I've obviously thought about this a lot. I think there's a lot of factors, and um, but I'll sort of hit the key ones and some maybe I don't even know. Um, but one, I mean, I think the internet has definitely been a, a massive uh, reason for this. The financial aspect plays a big role. So in general, when, you know, back in the day, you would pick up a magazine or a newspaper and everyone sort of read the same things to mm-hmm. an extent, um, but also they would read it cover to cover. So for that uh, magazine or newspaper to have subscribers, it had to ensure a certain quality. Um, when the internet came along, you know, everything became about clicks. And then the economy of, uh, you know, they were always struggling. But the economy is this. If you want a really good article to be produced, all you have, you know, you have to pay a, a writer pretty decent amount of money because you want to get a good writer. And also it's going to be a certain length. It's going to, you know, take a certain amount of research. So that costs more money. Now, the other article you can produce is one that maybe has a clickbait headline, uh, copies another news source, is very sort of shallow, doesn't take any time to produce. It's going to cost a lot less money, but it's actually going to get more clicks, so it's going to make more money. So that's fine. BuzzFeed. Yeah, exactly. So all those clicks, but they've all sort of moved to some extent to that model. So some magazines or, or, or publications that still care about their overall um, image, they might produce better content. So something like the New Yorker or the Atlantic or yeah. something like that. Yeah. But. But yeah, most of them know. And, and then people 
a lot of people don't even read the full story. And I, for a little while, I taught a high school class of all things. I taught media literacy. And I asked the students, uh, you know, where they get their news sources from. And in reality, right now, they're pretty much reading headlines Mm -hmm. and little bits and maybe things on social media and then hearing things from their friends or family. So they're not even reading the stories. So that that's a huge, uh, that has a huge impact. Yeah, it's the, the incentives have changed. Um, so there's a really great video by Andreas Antonopoulos. I'm going to put it in this show, show notes. I'm going to send it to you. But he, talk about how, he talked about how the news is now broken because of the economics has changed. You know, these big newspapers, magazines used to have massive you know, city uh, office blocks full of journalists, you know, working hard at producing their content. And yes, it still then might have been uh, not as accurate as it should have been. But at the time, people could really spend the time doing proper journalism, proper work. But with the advent of the internet, there's so many more competing sources for eyeballs that the the money being able to pay to fund journalism has essentially dropped. It's been a real struggle for these companies to monetize themselves. So he talks about that, the incentives have been broken. I also think there's another thing. I think um, Roger Ailes has a, a, a lot of fault to be put at his door um, when he uh, launched Fox News for Murdoch. Uh, you know, the whole story is like, all we, if we, all we need to do is win the Republicans. Oh, if we right. win the Republicans, we have half the audience. We can let all the other news stations fight over this. And that, that stopped there being the kind of center-based news reporting and balanced news reporting. And so what you have out here, I mean, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not something we have in the UK as much. We don't have left and right TV. It just doesn't exist. Um, but out here, and, and the US leads the news in some ways, you have this division now that's created this. And it's all based on advertising. Well, it's infotainment. So, it's infotainment. Yeah, when you're talking it's about bullshit. broadcast news, right, like yeah. TV, um, yeah, that's, that's a, a kind of a different beast, I think, in some ways. Yeah, it's, a, you know, in the past, it definitely at least attempted to serve, you know, um, as, to be a service, right, a public mm-hmm. service. And then, yes, it became a money-making machine. It's all infotainment. And um, you can even, like, measure... Um, this is something I learned back in university, but I thought that was an interesting exercise. So if you take um, certain, uh, you know, a news broadcast and you count how many stories they have in the span of like, say, 10 minutes and you compare it network by network, you'll find it's, it's interesting because um, certain, like, for example, Fox would have had a lot. So what does that mean? That means they're, they're, they're giving you very, very short bits of news, which means that loses all nuance and depth. So you can like take that metric and look at different, um, you know, news broadcasts and see how they do with that. And you'll probably find that the quality of the ones that do fewer stories is actually much higher. I've been thinking about it a lot. Like I also like to look at things from like a solution-based perspective. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about about like who still does journalism that actually brings value to people. I've got an interesting perspective on this as oh, well. Oh, I'm yeah. curious to hear it. Okay. okay. So you go first. Okay. Well, my my horse right now is is, um, is community journalism. So very small local papers. I mean, mm-hmm. those journalists get paid rubbish. I mean, most journalists don't get paid that much, but very low amounts of money, which is a problem. But um, 
the kinds of stories that they'll do are things that are in direct service to the communities that mm-hmm. they, you know, that they have the, these magazines in or uh, newspapers in, and they'll go and they'll sit on the trials and everything, right? Uh, that's a different, and it's more honest. I, I think you'll find a lot less spin in community papers. Okay. And now I'm curious about yours. Well, so when, I mean, if we, if we take this all down to the money um, and the incentives, the problem we have now is that news is a business, like you say, it's infotainment, and these companies have targets. And I can't remember what the numbers were specifically for CNN, but since Trump uh, lost the election, like CNN's numbers are massively down. But they're on the business of eyeballs, clickbait or eyebait, whatever. Um, And therefore, it's not real news and journalism, but they're in that battle because they've got to sell advertising. what we've seen recently is the rise of the independent journalist who can earn considerable amounts of money uh, by using the same technology. So the technology which has destroyed uh, the traditional newspapers is the same technology that can enable a you, a I, a Rogan, a Greenwald, a Taibi uh, to go out and earn considerable amounts of money. I mean. I don't know what a journalist earns. Just let's, I'll pick a number out of the air. Less than most podcasters, for sure. Well, let's, <laughs> we'll pick a number out of the air, though. Like a, well, it could be anything from like $35,000, right, in a community yep. to 100000 to 100 if you're really if at you're the top. Really, maybe you can do 120 And, you know, if you're a celebrity, maybe, you know, you'll make more. But really, most journalists are, are paid between, yeah, on the lowest is 35 to like 80 is considered pretty good. Well, let's set a target of 100,000. Mm-hmm. We said the target was 100,000 for someone to outperform that. You can go and set up a, uh, a Substract and your entire your audience is the entire planet. <laughs> Anyone who speaks your language, your, if you speak English, I mean, I don't know what this English-speaking uh, population of the world is, but we are talking billions of people who have access to the internet on their phones, their computers, can be your audience. You have to find a thousand people who are willing to give you a hundred dollars a year to hit that. A thousand people on the entire internet. You can get onto Twitter and you can you know, discuss your ideas. You can go onto podcasts and you can set up a medium post or even a podcast, but you only have to find a thousand people willing to give you a hundred dollars a year to do that. But the incentives go even higher because if you're really good, you find 10,000, you're going to earn a million dollars a year. Sure. I'm going to push back a little bit here. But, but can I just finish my <laughs> yeah, point? The yeah. point being is that there is an incentive in that to be somebody people trust. Okay, nobody fucking trusts CNN or Fox News. There's a lot of distrust in the media. People trust Glenn Greenwald. People trust Matthew Taibbi. People trust Rogan. I said the other day, Rogan's a journalist, and I'll come back to that if, 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 if you want to explore that, and I'll explain why I think he is. But people trust these people because they know they're going to be honest. They're not going to pick a side. They're just going to give you their honest opinion. And if you can create trust and you're a good journalist, you can, you can be a source of truth. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly agree about the trust. I, I, I do love that there are these opportunities. Um, in terms of the financial aspect of it, so... While some people have been, you know, incredibly successful with it, it's it's really difficult to build a following from scratch. So a lot of the people that you named, there were people who already had a little bit of, uh, you know, prominence. And for someone like that to go and create like Glenn Greenwald, um, 
that's very different. They can become completely independent in that way and they're going to have that financial support and maybe they'll even make more money than they would have at a traditional media outlet. So that works great. Um, so, and I've definitely seen some people who do amazing work who, who do podcasts or, uh, you know, there's a YouTuber I love who like goes to different towns and just talks to people and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But, um, for example, if you were trying to create, you know, a feature story, and you don't have a following, that means you have to put in a pretty severe time investment, and hence I would call it a financial investment to do that story. Also, it would be hard to get access to, say, if you wanted to do interviews for the story. A lot of this, the content that I've done is, is you know, interview-based. And the only way I can get those interviews is because I have a big publication attached to it. That makes a big difference. You don't have those opportunities until you've really built up your following to, to a large number. So there's certain kinds of stories that it would struggle being able to produce versus it can be a fantastic platform for others. So I'm not, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not dismissing it. I think, I think it's great. I, I've joined Substack, um, but I don't think it's quite as easy as people sometimes think it is. Yeah. Okay, I, th I think the opportunity's there. Yes, perhaps not easy, but maybe it requires a hustle. And I'll give you an example. Quite I being a business person in a way. Yeah, a little bit, but also just that hustle, hustle and hard work. That, that you, you, it's very hard to achieve anything without hustle and hard work. Um, so, so when I was 15, I started, this, this career essentially started when I was 15 because uh, I, I was really into heavy metal as a kid. And when I was 15, I turned around to one of my friends. I said, I think we should start a um, fanzine. You remember the old fanzines? Yes. Yeah. And, um, and he was like, yeah, that's cool. How are we going to do it? And, he, and then he kind of lost interest. And I said, well, I'll, I'm going to do it. And it's like, well, what do I need? I need my first issue. So what, what have I got to do? I've got to have interviews and reviews. And I've got to get it typed up and printed. Bear in mind, I'm 15 years old and I've got nothing. So all I did is I got myself a dictaphone. And I went to, along to a concert and I waited outside for the band to turn up. It's a band called Skunk and Nancy. And I went up to the singer. I said, I want to launch a fanzine. Can I interview you? And she said, yes, after the show. We went backstage. We did a 40-minute interview. Off the back of that, I approached another band and said, oh, I've interviewed Skunk and Nancy. I'm launching a magazine. Can I have an interview? And I got my first four interviews. And look, this first issue was crap. But I went home. I translated it, printed it. Uh, uh, also wrote some reviews of some CDs, got it printed. And then I went to uh, all the record companies, sent them out and said, I want to interview so-and-so bands. And so as a 15-year-old, I hustled it. I did four issues. I interviewed Korn. Do you know Korn? I, I know. Of them, Pantera, yes. Slayer, Biohazard. <laughs> like I, I got all these big interviews and I did it just by hustling. I think if anyone at the moment wants to become a journalist, they can hustle it. And look, it might take years. I'm not saying there's overnight success. This 100,000 might take you five years to do it. But once you've got there... If as long as you maintain it, you are financially secure. It's a different type of skill set in a way, and and maybe that's okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I like you. I actually did a when I was like thirteen or something. I put together uh, like my own little paper, and I would nice. just stuff it in people's mailboxes against their will. Um, so you hustled. So I hustled, but I had that entrepreneur. Like I was very entrepreneurial. I mean, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't admit it, but I had a fake, not a fake agency, but I had an agency that under a fake name because it was like I was like fifteen or fourteen, <laughs> and you know I didn't want people to know I was a fifteen-year-old running a talent agency. So I booked people work, and I had a mailbox. Um, I started these different businesses. I was always entrepreneurial. 
but that's not the case necessarily with um, all journalists and some journalists might be great writers and are, are socially awkward, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and don't have that hustle in them at all. And so, you know, how do we hear their voices as well? But at the same time, I mean, you know, having certain abilities does, does benefit people and, you know, not having them sometimes disadvantages them and that is kind of life. So how do we elevate these people? Or, I mean, are we, are we accepting traditional, big, large publications and news sources? Oh, we're done with those. Are we in the place where it's like, that is broken beyond repair? Well, yeah, I'm still, I guess I'm still an optimist to some extent where I'm like, ah, maybe they can fix themselves a bit, but they have to be willing to want to fix themselves. Mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of journalists who have definitely, um, are, are seeing what I'm seeing absolutely and want to be part of the solution. And I've thought of some solutions and, but I realized that, hey, I'm trying to like single-handedly fix everything in the world and I probably can't do that, but I might try. Um, but, you know, I, I think maybe I, I was looking at something like a certification process, voluntary, where people can decide that they are, um, like journalists and, and publications can decide that they want to abide by certain tenets of journalism, right? But that already kind of exists. They're already journalists. They're already they standards. Don't exi- well, but they want will get a certification from this other like nonprofit organization. Maybe it's a pipe dream, but that 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 was my best uh, stab at this. Is like okay, if a journalist, if if a publication really wants to serve the public and be seen that way and, and change their reputation, and if they say okay, we, we this is what we abide by, and they can lose that, right? Like so, they're being tracked. It's voluntary, but. Um, they can lose the certification if you know they don't abide by these tenets. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe not, but it's a, it's maybe an idea worth exploring. Have you had articles or pieces you've worked on that you're particularly proud of that have been rejected? Yes, <laughs> I have. Um, can you talk about them? Yeah, I'm trying to think about it. <laughs> how, how do I explain it without throwing somebody under the bus? Yeah, yeah. Fuck them. Come no, on. That's, this is your, that's my thinking. This process. is your Dr. Gupta moment. No, I mean, I, I mean, I had a piece killed um, by the New York Times that I don't think was killed for reasons that were content based, as, as in quality of content. What was the article? Um, it wasn't even something super controversial because it was like a while ago. And um, they used to have a column, which was a social, it it looked at uh, the social media accounts of different people uh, who are prominent and really kind of related the social media account to larger issues in society. So my particular story was about, uh, I looked at Ricky Gervais's account, which I kind of, I mean, I like him. I love Ricky. But... I did not like the way that he attacked uh, religious groups all the time. Okay, I, I'm not aware of this. I've only I, the only stuff I've regularly seen is him attacking uh, hunters and people for animal cruelty. I mean, he attacks everyone. That's his shtick. Is, but, <laughs> are his attacks attacks satire? So I didn't feel they were. I thought okay. I thought they were. Um, I'm okay with like you can ridicule a lot. Um, I I felt that he was intolerant, right, towards people who saw the world differently. Okay. I'm not, I'm not a religious person at all, but I, 
saw that as an, a, a, an example of intolerance, which is what he was attacking religious people for being. So there's ways to do it. Like I, I loved, I watched Book of Mormon. I don't know if you saw that. I've seen it twice. I, I went with my dad. Oh my God. Brilliant show. Yeah, amazing. And they attacked a lot of stuff, but they didn't attack the people in the, in the way that, you know, I, I thought it was actually remarkably tolerant at the same time. Mm -hmm. Even though my jaw dropped so many times. So, um, yeah, I didn't love that about him. And I, and I tweeted something, you know, and uh, I think I accused him of going on a... Um, what, crusade against religious people. <laughs> a crusade against religious people. The and irony. he responded or retweeted. Oh, did he? And so then I got attacked by all his like followers, which honestly, yeah. I don't, it was fun, that's, funny. That's I a tactic, by the yeah, way. Yeah, when people yeah. attack me, I retweet them and, and right. let, let my people pile in. I'm sure that's what he, I don't think he like even wanted them to pile because he ended up deleting the tweet later. So I think he, I've also done that. I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think he saw what was happening and was like, maybe that wasn't the nicest thing to do. Anyways, I didn't mind it. it. It was quite fun for me to engage with them. I didn't take it personally. However, I thought that was like maybe that was kind of the, the genesis of that pitch. So when I pitched it, the editor seemed to really like that. What was the pitch? Oh, so it was it was about sort of the, the hypocrisy of the intolerance. Okay. Yeah. Great. Interesting. Yeah. And so I, I wrote the piece. It, you know, at first, she, you know, I didn't mention the the whole interaction. Uh, that I had, okay. and um, ultimately the piece ended up getting killed. But the reason that I was given, even though they asked me to write in the whole interaction, the reason that I was given is because it, you know I had a personal relationship with Ricky Gervais. But which, you don't have a personal. No, relationship I have with no him. personal relationship. He has no idea who I am, and yeah. and I don't even have like a negative outlook towards him. I really actually quite like him, mm. um, and and I love his comedy. So you know, just because I had this one <laughs> one extra grind, but it felt political in a way, or felt like it didn't fit a particular narrative for them. Do you feel like once the piece would be published, Ricky Gervais would see this? Perhaps he would criticize it, and then. It, he could turn people against the New York Times? Do you think it was that? I don't think it was that. I mean, I don't think he would have, I mean. What do you think the politics of it was then? Um, it, you know, I think Curtis, because I was defending religious people <laughs> in a way, and I think there was like, that was not something that they liked. I think it was really about that. Um, Did you self-publish the article anyway? Or you're not allowed uh, to at that point? No, well, yeah. And I, I got a kill fee for it, which is You got tiny. a kill fee? Yeah, which is tiny. Like, Hold on, so tiny. you don't get paid the, the original fee? When they kill a story, they give you a kill fee? Yeah, so a lot of papers have these like kill fees. So um, Hold on, is that on top of the fee for writing? No. So you, so like New York Times has an insanely low one for, for this that kind of paper, right? It's 25%. So you do right. all the work. Oh, fuck then. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, fuck them. Pretty awful, yeah. This is why you need to go out and independently. I will be your first subscriber if you haven't gotten me yet. And I would say go out and do your honest work. I did start a Substack, actually. Has it? How yeah. many subscribers? Have you got any subscribers? I have some subscribers. I, I I kind of dissuaded them from paying in the beginning. I was like, uh, are you sure you want to pay for this? Dude. I'm not giving you any Dude. extra content. Come on. <laughs> Listen, let people pay you for your work. I, I'm terrible at this stuff. Like, I feel so uncomfortable with it. I'm, I'm learning, don't but... Don't be. Just take the fucking money and do the job. And you're a fantastic writer. I told you that. Um, 
you know, my, my show is a Bitcoin show. We, we might not even discuss Bitcoin today, and I don't care because I want to talk to you. I think you're an interesting person, and I think you are a fantastic writer, and people should read that. So take the money. <laughs> people listening are going to sell it. To, to. Well, and I guess, you know, right now I feel like the people who've been supporting me are really supporting me. They're not doing it necessarily to, like, get this extra content because it's that's available they, for everyone. That's what everyone does. Sam Harris, I subscribe to his podcast. I'm pretty sure when I went to pay for it, it said, you don't have to pay if you don't want to. I think there's like a, like, it's an option mm. to pay for it. And I pay for it because I want to support his work. And I know he's not short of money. Sam Harris is fine, but I would pay for it because I want to listen to his podcast. I don't even agree with everything he says. I think he gets a lot of things wrong, but I think it's worth paying for. Let, take, take the money, whether it's to support you or to get the content, it doesn't really matter. If someone wants to give you money, they're enabling you to go out there and be an honest writer. Yeah, and that's the thing, like to be fully independent. I mean, I always, that was like the pipe dream, right? Uh -huh. um, because I've always, for a long time now, been wanting to be able to say what I want to say and not feel the financial consequences of it, right? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I kept thinking, okay, what kind of side business can I start? I just thought, maybe a coffee shop. If I get canceled, like I'll start a coffee shop or something so I can generate income and then I can do what I want. So I always had these like little um, dreams and ideas uh, because I because I wanted independence. So yeah, these platforms are great for, you know, if, if somebody does find uh, that they have a little bit of an audience that they can be supported financially, um, that makes a huge difference for sure. It's almost like a um, decentralized news media in some ways in that we have these this growing uh, number of independent podcasters and journalists, which I think are competing now with the networks. And I think they're winning. Go back to the point of Rogan, the reason I said I think he's a journalist is that funny uh, area between uh, entertainer, interviewer, and journalist in that I think he does the job of a journalist sometimes the way he, he works on a subject. And I, again, I don't agree with him on everything. I fundamentally disagree on some things and fundamentally agree, but what I do know is when he sits there and he interviews someone, he's going to ask honest questions because he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care if he's got... Like, you can't cancel him. doesn't matter what people tr try and do, they can't cancel him. And people... the the People who have a protective shield around them that they can't be cancelled. The more people we have like that, the better, because they're going to answer the big, honest questions. Well, and the less they care, the less anyone's even going to try and cancel them. I mean, exactly. the, the worst consequences is like if you apologize or you're just very like, oh, I'm so sorry yeah. I used this word. Oh, my God. Uh, one sorry, China. Words, I have a word. I'm going to – I'll I'll go on the record on this word. It's a hill I'm willing to die on. What's a what? This, there's a word that drives me crazy. Crazy is the word. Um, basically, if you say the word crazy, it's okay. like you're an ableist. You're like, I'm not calling anybody crazy. Crazy is a very expressive word. I'm like, I had a crazy day. I feel a little crazy today. But these words are My being kids are driving controlled. me crazy. My kids are driving me crazy. But now, like, if you say... My ex is fucking crazy. I can, yeah. It's a great word. Yeah. I'm not retiring this word because some people think it's ableist. I have the uttermost respect for people who are, who are struggling with mental health. It has nothing to do with them. Like it's, it's this constant thing of like you can't use certain words. So crazy being one of those words, and I've seen it so many you times. Can't, you can't use it. You can't use it. I yeah. fucking use it. Well, good. So am I. <laughs> but I've seen it so many times where somebody will use that word the mob will come after them and say, usually kind of politely, they'll say, 
Um, you, you know, this word is actually ableist, so you might want to use other language. And then the person, the original person who used the word said, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I will do my best. I will, tr- I will do better. And that's... <laughs> I mean, look, there, there are times to apologize. There are, absolutely. Uh, and there's times to admit you're wrong. I know that. I've had to apologize for many things and I've had to admit, admit I'm wrong many times, but that's fine. I, I always think it's a, it's a quality. Somebody, somebody said to me, son, a man who can't change his mind can't change anything. And it's a bit, ugh, it's a bit cringe, but like it always stuck with me because I was like, okay, if, if you're wrong, admit you're wrong, but don't apologize for the wrong reason. Apologize because you self-reflected and you said, yeah, I was a dick. I was wrong. It's the perfect example was like, who was it? Uh, was it? John Cena, who was like criti- criti- criticizing China and then went back and apologized, clearly had his arm turned or everything that happened with the NBA in China. It's like, it's fucking bullshit. We have to consider why someone apologizing, right? Back to the money. Yeah, it's money. It's um, social standing, wanting to be good. Wanting to be seen as good is actually the, the bigger thing, right? A lot of people want to be seen as good. And, you know, I... I completely agree. If if you've messed up in a real way, yeah, you reflect, you apologize. But if you haven't, then never apologize. Never. Well, what's what's more important, to be good or to be honest? Mm, great question. I wonder, actually. You know, I, mean, I haven't been asked this question. So. Okay. What do you think? You can well, think about it. I'm leaning towards being honest, but... Um, but there's still a part of me that wants to be good. So I can't say, it would be dishonest of me to say. <laughs> well, there's sometimes you, you being dishonest is the good thing. Parenting is one example. Sometimes you have to be dishonest with your children to be good towards them and you know, shield them from certain things. But generally speaking, I think it's really important to be honest and you know, completely honest. It's one of, one of the problems I think in our political system is that we expect to have these infallible characters. And then when we find a flaw in one, then we, well, not we, because I don't want it, but people just want to attack them, break, break them down and ruin them and destroy them. I'd much rather have some like flawed ex-drug addict who's got his shit together uh, as a political leader than then some like fake, completely clean, honest character, which we know they're not. Well, you know, I am now have had, you know, so the occasional attacks and such. And, and part of that came from, you know, taking stances that maybe are less popular amongst my, my tribe. But um, <clears throat> that, that caused me to arrive at, at a much more honesty in, in how I express myself. And actually, it's kind of a gift in a way. And that, you know, now that I am a lot more free with my voice, I've I've have better relationships with other people. It allowed other people to then reach out to me and tell me the truth of what they think and feel. And it's been surprising because I felt so alone for a long time, like really alone, kind of depressed about it. Then I talk talk about that. What do you mean? Mm, Because I I, I I can empathize. Okay. Well, I was seeing a lot of the issues, the dishonesty, the way that things were being talked about or not talked about, the kind of people just getting behind causes and not really thinking things through and, you know, uh, equality of mm, outcome versus equality of opportunity, those kinds of things too. Are we talking about BLM here? I was thinking more about um, where I lived, there was like a quota thing where now it's like 50-50% funding for men and women, for example, for film. Okay. And and I knew that the level of applications was 80% men, 20% women, so. Okay, so it just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, well, it means that certain people are going to get funding who shouldn't. 
um, if you want it to improve things, then you focus on the submission statistic. Yeah. Um, but when I started talking about these things um, more honestly, and like in person with people, I was I thought I was gonna you know get crucified at the time, but actually um, people had more honest conversations with me, and actually I found out that a lot of people were seeing these issues. They were just so afraid to talk about it. This this crippling fear that a lot of us feel. I mean, I felt it. I mm-hmm. still feel it. Very much I feel it. I don't feel like I can say just anything. I'm not in that position yet, but I try to speak as much as I can, uh, as honestly as I can. And um, that took a lot to arrive even there. But it's been so rewarding because now I've, I've, I know where other people stand. I had some amazing conversations with people. And, you know, they're all over in their feelings and thoughts about things. But by having these open conversations, I was able to, like, learn from them, mm-hmm. um, but also connect with them in a genuine way. So we're not all, like, you know, standing, like, what can I say with her? Like, if you're thinking, like, can I say this? Can I say that? You're not having a genuine, real relationship with another person, right? Yeah, it's it's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I fully empathize with that point. There's things I've wanted to talk about in the past that I have been worried about. I mean, there's one at the moment. Like, uh, I was even talking about it the other night with somebody. Again, it's a Bitcoin podcast, but I do touch asymmetric topics. I talk about governance. I talk about uh, the drugs war. I talk about general uh, economic situations, human rights. I talk to, when I say I talk about it, I talk to smart people about it. I ask them the questions. Um, but recently, I've had probably 20 emails in the last two months, specifically from women specifically almost very identical saying you talk about texas a lot you talk about how great texas is you talk about wanting to live in texas uh are you going to deal or can you discuss abortion Mm. and i was like oh okay right i mean like i'm if somebody was listening going you shouldn't talk about that because it's a bitcoin shot i've already made the point i want to talk about other subjects i mean we're not talking about bitcoin today I'm, i'm enjoying it i don't care um do I want to talk about this subject? And I was like, shit, I don't know how to deal with this because it's another very complicated problem with very two clear uh, uh, sides arguing for or against. And then I think a valid group in the middle who are like, oh, God, this is really tricky because I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm seeing both sides. And I've really struggled with that, that as a topic and I've steered clear for now. Yeah. Well, I would like to touch it though. Well, and and there is something about that because like the self-censorship thing that's going on with a lot of people. And I've been talking to a lot of creative people, specifically writers and some of them quite prolific. Um, And they said that there's certain works of theirs they probably wouldn't make today because they would say, think, oh, the market wouldn't go for it because of the situation, or I'll get, you know, canceled mm-hmm. or have this negative thing. And right now they're, they're really self-censoring themselves, right? And so think about the, how great the, uh, much of a robbery it is, <laughs> right, in a way, how we rob society of, of these great, potentially life-changing works. Because, you know, everyone has had, you know, this film or book or something that has maybe changed the course of their lives. And if you have to be like, you know, jumping one foot to the next and not, not able to be honest and try things and sometimes fail at things, right? Failure is so important. Then, you know, we're not creating good content. We're not creating art that's honest, 
that's exploring things. Even like the David Chappelle thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, I know. And I haven't watched it, so I don't have like- Oh, I, well, I've watched it. You watch it. So yeah. I talked to other people who've watched it and they're all like really decent human beings. Mm -hmm. um, most of them say, well, all the people in my life, my real life, they, they've all watched it and they loved it and they don't feel like it's, you know, yeah. It, 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 it's tricky. It's, it's tricky. A, it's really and tricky. And some people do, right? Mm -hmm. And and I can understand that as well. But the issue is there is like who gets to call the shots. Yeah, I mean, for me, like stand-up comedy is the final frontier of free speech. You know, it should comedians should be the people who are using satire to challenge uh, some of the biggest, most complex problems. There are. I mean, I mentioned you abortion a moment ago. Um, Louis C.K. in one of his specials challenged abortion and identified the issues using satire. And it was really, he really crystallized the problem in, in, in a way that I thought was quite brilliant as a comedian and also sounded hugely insensitive at the same time. Um, and I, I think that's what's happened with Chappelle's latest special. He's dealing with a problem, which is that the acceptance and treatment of transgender people in society, which is, uh, again, a hugely complex problem. He's sure. tried to solve it with satire. I didn't think that was actually the most controversial moment in the show. There's other things that nobody talked about. But. Well, so, so, I mean, he, you know, he made a Jewish joke, right? Yeah. That, and not anybody, like people are not really talking about that one, And, and sh should he, should, shouldn't he be able to make that joke? I mean, is anything out of bounds? For comedians, I mean, we, we you know we talk about free speech and want to free speech, but there, there, you know, there are certain things that you just will not say in society. Do you not think there is a value to somebody actually saying something that's maybe offensive or wrong? Because even if they're wrong, like we, we have this idea that like everything we say has to be great, and nice, and kind, and but when somebody says something that's not those things. When well, we get to engage with that. Probably a lot of people are thinking those things too. So if we yeah. engage with that in an open way, we can maybe challenge that. But if we never hear it in an open way, then we can never engage with it. We can never challenge it. We can never change anybody's mind. I mean, I had my mind changed about certain things where, you know, take somebody who's a KKK member, you know, pretty despicable. Mm -hmm. I, I think we can agree on that. And yet, but still, I would want really want to interview someone. Would you want? That. Yeah, yeah. Like, more, like it's something. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Sometimes people say, "Why are you give him this person a platform?" And it's yeah. like you're not. You never give someone a platform. You're having an interview. I always want to speak to the like the people I understand the least because I want to. I want to. Why? Why the fuck are you in the KKK? Like, I want to understand that. That's an important thing to understand yeah. because that could change the course of that. And and that that's exactly right. Like, um, so I've watched uh, an interview with a former KKK member who now gets people out. There's a, a, a guy I really admire, Daryl Davis. Who, Amazing, right? Yeah. He, he he you know he collects these 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 hoods from from clan members. So like, if you can take somebody like that who's in that mindset, that's I will say it's a very bad it's a negative one um it's it is a kind of a hateful one and yet even that kind of person can change and i, I always say like no one has the responsibility to engage with someone like that they don't have to do it but if they can you know the outcome may be incredible and and it kind of shows you that you know even if you think that person is beyond reach maybe they're not 
Some people are, but yeah, so maybe they're, they're not. I'll tell you something interesting that came out of the Chappelle thing for me. Um, I don't have a good enough understanding of the challenges or the life experiences of a trans person. I don't. Um, and I've listened to the debates with regards to trans kids and some of the complexities around hormone blockers and what age is that's relevant. I think it's, again, another hugely complex issue. I'm not going to touch today. But I, it's just not an issue I've spent much time on. And I watched the Chappelle uh, show, and he talks about this girl, Daphne. And the story sounded too perfect for it to have been authentic and, and, and for him to tell, because it was just perfect for him to tell the story. So afterwards, I was like, okay, I'll do some research. And uh, I don't know if you know the story, and you know, I'm going to plot spoil uh, here, but uh, no, I'm not going to plot spoil. There's no one's seen that she's going to see it. But anyway, what I did is I went and researched and looked her up, and every single part of the story told was exactly true as he told it. Yeah. And so I ended up reading her story, reading everything she went through and some of the struggles and difficulties she had. And that, so I ended up coming out of the Chappelle show with becoming more compassionate to the issues of trans people. I not, that a lot, actually. Yeah, and, and not, I wasn't like raging. I didn't have some, because it was when I was in Vegas, I uh, was chatting to some people about it and uh, there were two people with diametrically opposed views on it. One said it was brilliant, one said it was awful, and it was encouraging uh, violence upon trans people. And, and again, I don't know if it, it does. I think actually it depends on who's listening. If somebody's predisposed to be that kind of person, they might that, be. I mean, that's the same thing as like uh, uh, violence in movies. And yeah. apparently statistically they looked at it and they said um, that actually, for example, we have more violence in movies and games and everything than ever before. And yet actually statistically the, the crime rate, violent crime has gone down. Yeah. So it's interesting. So yeah, I, I've come out certainly more compassionate to the issues of trans people and, and wanting to understand it more and, and probably at some point interviewing somebody so I can better understand it. So I actually thought it was brilliant what he did. But I, but it's tricky because I can see how trans people didn't, didn't peel back the layers of the satire and just felt attacked. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, this is one of those um, hot potato topics that is very difficult to talk about. And I've, I've to some extent, stayed away. I have a lot of empathy um, I, and also when it comes to, you know, I do see some of the attacks where people will purposely be like, like misgendered, like purposely, like yeah. in a mean way, right? Yeah. Not, not being accidentally, a dick. not, you know, being a dick, exactly. That's not something like, I, I, that has, serves no good purpose and it, it is hurtful. Um, I do think that it's not a great thing that we can't talk about these things, uh, the other issues around that um, in a more open way without, you know, somebody automatically going, well, you're a transphobe, you know, because maybe I'm wrong on, on a particular stance. That's possible. Absolutely. Show me how. <laughs> but then they'll say, you know, you should be doing the work. <laughs> Emotional labor. That's, that's another word that I absolutely. Emotional labor. <laughs> Emotional labor. Have you heard this one? No, tell me. Oh, this comes up a lot. <laughs> so emotional labor um, is, say you don't understand something about a minority group. Okay. Or, um, so you can't ask the question or expect them to sort of respond. Or if they do, they're doing emotional labor. This makes sense. So I've recently become 
addicted to libs of TikTok on Twitter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I've seen some of the, you know, two-camera rants by liberal people with regards to specific issues. It's, it's honestly got to the point where sometimes I don't actually understand what the fuck they're talking about. And, uh, but I've seen it, I've seen one specifically the other day where a girl was saying, why should, I don't have to explain, should have to explain myself for you to understand what my issues are, what I'm going through. And I was like, whew, well, oh, I don't understand. Like- but I don't understand. <laughs> like, I, I just don't understand. Like, I, I have a particular background of somebody who is curious to know and understand. Yeah. I don't consider it emotional labor. I'm like, great, I'm glad you're curious. You know, the idea that it's emotional labor to explain something to someone that, where they might not understand it. You know, yeah, you know, it's great if they can do some extra research on their own, but... <laughs> but these are complicated subjects that are hard to understand. Like, yeah. we don't walk in the same shoes. I'm a- no, we don't. And, you know, people often will label everyone in this by these categories. Yep. And whereas, like, based on, like, these really, you know, silly things where it's, like, somebody's, the color of somebody's skin... Shouldn't we be looking at people as individuals and and in terms of the color of somebody's skin? Well, you may share that color. You have completely different lives, d- different experiences. I mean, it's like this, I, I think it's like, a, it's racism, really. And it's weirdly wrapped in this anti-racist rhetoric, which is not at all true. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my amazing show sponsors. This show is brought to you by BlockFi, who recently launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. And now you can get up to $250 in Bitcoin when you join. For people in the US who are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit cards provides the easiest way because you get 1.5% in Bitcoin back on every card purchase and there is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats as you get Bitcoin back on every purchase. But not only that. You get 2% back in Bitcoin on every purchase over $50,000 of annual spend. If you're interested in finding out more, please head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter, which is where you can claim your $250 back. That is BlockFi.com forward slash Peter. B-L-O-C-K-F-I dot com forward slash P-E-T-E-R. Next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, and I'm still using that same Nano S I bought back then. Now, Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device, and you can now connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D, ger.com. Next up, we have Gemini, who I'm using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying. I've still not sold a single sat with Gemini because I'm a hodler and we are in a bull market. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing all through one clear, attractive interface. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And next up, we have the amazing Compass Mining, and they're not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass, and I am back mining. It is so good to be back mining, and I really, really like these guys. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. 
It was really easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they will do all the work for you. Now, if you are interested in getting into mining or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. Should we talk about council culture? <laughs> sure. By the way, I've got you a present. This is from Mark Cuban. Really? Yeah, I got you a present from Mark Cuban. <laughs> it's, it's What is it? <laughs> it's a cookie? It's a brownie. Chocolate brownie? It's a brownie. It's a special brownie? It's a brownie. You don't know. It's, it doesn't matter. All brownies are the same. How is this matter. a Mark Cuban president? You need to explain this better. Because uh, all, all brownies are equal. You don't care about the recipe. They're just as long as it's a brownie, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> we, had a de- we had a debate with him on last I triggered him last night. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I, I was a little bit rude to him. <sighs> Yeah, I, um, I accuse him of being rich and out of touch. And, uh, oh, no. Yeah, oh, I, I, I heard a tiny bit um, about Dogecoin. Yeah. I'm trying to understand these things. Well, you came to our party the other night. I did. You know, I, have I threw to... you in there and I was two hours late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, like people in the, and I'm not just saying it because of your podcast, but the people in the um, Bitcoin and just cryptocurrency community in general. They are two communities completely separate. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> they're not really, they're not really. I'm just joking. I've separated them. I'm joking. But they're they're completely, you know, they're, they're very welcoming, very open-minded. So they have some of the like philosophy in common, mm-hmm. um, which does make them a bit of a community, but I've also called them a cult and they've embraced it. They say, we absolutely are. And you're in the cult now. And I'm in the cult now because I've, yeah. You, you've <laughs> I've got made, some Bitcoin. I've made, I got some Bitcoin. Went up this week. Have you made money? I probably made a tiny bit because my bank restructured, not my bank. I think it's actually, uh, uh, I think it's actually the the company through which I bought it. You can it. say the name. I'm not going to. It's because Coinbase? I was trying to Coinbase. Yeah. yeah, they they basically restrict how much I can buy when because it's a you new probably account. knew. Yeah, it's a new account. And I yeah. didn't know that. that. But before I tried to buy cryptocurrency uh, before and uh, like a few years ago, and my bank blocked it. Yeah, that happens as well. And you have to think why. I, I do think why. Why and they, do they, they not make want it you? seem like they're protecting you from scams, but it's like my money. And why can't I buy, um, you know, stock market things which are just as volatile? How about a waiver? If you cho- if the bank says right. to you, if you choose to buy this Bitcoin and you lose money, this is your problem. You sign this waiver. I'll sign the fucking waiver. They don't want it because uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are a threat to both. Uh, high street retail banks and central banks. And also governments, I imagine, don't want cash. I've been thinking about that one for a while because ca- you know, I understand some of the p- positive reasons for why they don't want cash around. But also, right now, most most purchases that I make are on my credit card. Mm-hmm. The amount of detail that that gives whoever gets that data mm-hmm. is massive. And the only way for me to live is now like using these tools. A lot of places don't even, especially during you know this pandemic, they don't even accept um, cash anymore. So it, it feels like it kind of accelerated that move from from cash um, to surveillance state to surveillance. Yeah, which is something you know people always said. Why are you why are you concerned? You're not going to commit any crimes. <laughs> well, well, I was, mm-hmm. you know, at the time it was like into bank heists and such. But um, for me, it was always the principle of it. But also, what does the government consider a crime? And so we're seeing so much more. We're getting into this like point where the government may actually consider something completely sensible a crime. 
we're seeing it like to, to get back to, you know, censorship um, or not or cancel culture, I guess we were going to mm-hmm. go there. But um, but also I'm seeing a lot in terms of censorship, especially in terms of talking about the pandemic, which is is it? It's insane. I'm yeah. using the word insane, but I'm being you, ableist. You're but. allowed to talk about certain areas of the pandemic. Right. You're well, not. There's other things you can't talk about. Correct. And and why? And and the people you know on YouTube, like Brad Weinstein. Weinstein is it Weinstein? It's or Weinstein. Weinstein. Yeah, I used to call him Weinstein, but it's Weinstein. <sighs> I messed up too. Okay, so you know. Um, Somebody who, you know, is an evolutionary biologist and then has people on his podcast who are also have like scientific backgrounds. So th- these aren't people who are just, you know, random nonsense, right? They may be wrong very much. That's very possible. But to not give them the opportunity to speak, to demonetize, to censor, well, n- now they don't just demonetize, they might even take the video down mm-hmm. and if you if you have any mention of it that 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 doesn't go with the narrative that's really well that's censorship that is full-on censorship and yes the social media companies were doing it but then when the white house came out and said you know this whole misinformation disinformation two very different things right disinformation is if you're specifically you know trying to spread lies mm-hmm. and you know maybe using bot farms or something like that that to me yeah you should go after that that's mm-hmm. a really propaganda. different thing it's propaganda go 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 for it but misinformation is merely somebody having a viewpoint that's different mm-hmm. uh, to the mainstream narrative and but they believe it right and that changes because their information is constantly shifting so You've got to ask why they're censoring it. And I don't know. I don't know why they are. I don't know a hundred. I can't say with any kind of specificity. I think there's a lot that's not revealed to us. Um, yeah. And, and look, I like Brett. I've interviewed him a couple of times. And again, another person I don't agree with everything on. Sure. Um, but I want to hear the debate. I want to oh, hear the exactly. discussion. Well, he should be able, or anybody else, right? They should be able to present their thought, their evidence. And if somebody thinks it's bullshit, then they present counter evidence and see where the dust settles, right? Well, uh, what's her name? Claire from Quillette. Um, mm. She was debating ferociously with Brett on Twitter. And I, th- I found it interesting. I two sides of this discussion. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't understand the censorship, but that's why I bring it back to the Bitcoin. It's like... That allows us to at least give ourselves one separation from the government, one thing they don't control. You know, because when you talk about censorship, what if if all our records are digital, all our payments are digital, what if there's flags in there that identify our political persuasion and then we get targeted based on that? Like, what does that do to democracy? And you know, a lot of Bitcoiners don't believe in democracy anyway. They think it's... Um, what do they believe in? Uh, it depends. There's a range. Again, you've, you've got some who do. I do. I'm. Uh, I. I. I'm a reluctant uh, statist who, who believes that democracy is the best we have right now. Um, yeah, no tool is perfect. Is no like, tool is perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, some are libertarians. Some are full anarcho-capitalists, and I think they have brilliant ideas, and I love talking to these people. Um, but if the government has access to all our purchases and they can identify our political persuasion. 
what can they do to us with that? We know in certain countries they'll fucking persecute you for it. They'll they'll arrest you, imprison you, and well, I had I think we have this sense that we live in a country that's really free, and this kind of stuff can't happen. And and honestly, a few years back, I probably would have said that. Um, my my family's from the Soviet Union. I was born there. Um, so I grew up with them, you know, talking about all this stuff all the time. And they were starting to see, like, the warning signs. And I think I was a little bit dismissive in the beginning. So your, your, your parents now are seeing the warning signs? Yeah, they're seeing now the warning signs. Any country, I mean, we've had, if you look through history, right, countries that seemed perfect, like Germany, perfectly mm-hmm. democratic country, was a bastion of freedom at the time, at one point, uh, you know, went Nazi. Um you, you throughout history. I mean, these things happen, and it's hard to know. Are you overreacting? Is this is this actually happening? Are your freedoms being taken away, or is it just like a few things that are being taken away? Or are we actually heading towards something that's more dangerous, more, uh, you know, authoritarian? Australian. Australian. <laughs> and do you know the really interesting thing about Australia is that that's come up as a subject that's been discussed on my show a few times, and I don't know if I if because of my cohort on Twitter, I'm just seeing just one side of this debate. So what I would do is I would go and see some of the announcements from the political leaders that sound insane, and then I'd read the comments, and there's people fully supportive of some of these ideas. Um, so I think you're right. We, we, are, we've had, we have issues in the UK. There are certainly issues in Australia. There are certainly issues in France, Italy. We're seeing protests everywhere here in the US. So if your parents who lived and you growing up in the I'm assuming you're quite young when you left the US I was like, young yeah. did you leave before the fall of the yes you did oh yeah you told me they essentially yeah. escaped didn't they yeah yeah absolutely can we talk about that I'm not sure but um so what are they saying what are your parents saying because in some ways your parents would be the people I would trust more than almost anyone yeah. Somebody's lived under this. Well, a lot of people, uh, if you listen to a lot of people who are immigrants who come from these kinds of regimes in the past, they're seeing the alarm bells go off, right? So media would be a really big part of it. The fact that the media has a narrative it, it is something that's, um, you know, you really want the media to be all over the place, right, in terms of thought and opinions. Um, when it's not, when it's kind of like in this weird agreement, um, something is a little bit off. Um, you're seeing, uh, you know, what the government is telling you versus what's true. Mm-hmm. And we know that there have been, you know, blatant lies. It's it's like a fact. You can, I can show it to you. Yep. Um, so, you know, the, there's definitely a lot of propaganda going on. Well, do you think this censorship... Division is another huge thing. Do you think this censorship across social media, therefore, is this recognition that is probably in some ways the the most important media to control and the hardest one to control in that you're trying to control the opinions of lots of individuals as opposed to large media organizations. Do you think that's, is your assumption there's some connection between government and these large media organizations? Well, we know that there is, right? If they're sending lists of of who to, you know, to to consider as a misinformation spreader, and they're saying, this is what the facts are, this is what you should be doing, of course, they're already interfering in that process. Um, So, which is, you know, really alarming. Um, Also, I would say there's a level of like self-censorship that's Mm -hmm. going on 
that's just equally as dangerous and you're seeing that and and I think a lot in this this one does tie into cancel culture because what I think you're seeing is a really rather small group of people but a very dominant and loud group of people kind of dominating the narratives and shutting everyone else down because people are kind of scared. And that's something that, from what I understand, you were seeing with the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Hey, listen, I interviewed two people in China in the last year. I um, I used to have this other podcast called Defiance uh, where I do non-Bitcoin subjects. And twice I've interviewed people who are in China. One was an American, one was a British person. I asked tough questions and both people, after the interview, wrote to me and said, can I pull the interview? They don't want it live. Wow. Uh, one of them was really angry at me, saying they put them in a really difficult position. And my question back to them is a bit like the question back to uh, Sanjay Gupta. is like, what the fuck are you doing then? Why are you living there? Why? You're, you're, you're happy. And I know why. They've got business there. Comes back to the money, the incentives. They're, they're making good money in China. And therefore, I feel like they're almost complicit in accepting something they disagree with which is sad. Yeah, and people do that a lot. And, and if they do it long enough, it's... And it, it's kind of the same thing with, you know, say journalism, it's the same thing in politics, right? Like if you start out in politics, I had a very short stint. But if you start out in politics, you re- realize in, on like a small level, so you have a lot of people who are like interested parties that get involved in their, their interested parties because maybe they have small businesses and will now benefit from the contracts they're going to get. And then if you're somebody who comes in, you're like somebody who wants to do good. Right, you have good intentions. You want to serve, which I think should be the intention if you go into politics. Mm-hmm. Um, well, to get promoted within that system, the only way to do that is for you to basically agree with everything. And once you've agreed with everything, by the time you get to any real position where you have power or say, you're somebody who's now compromised so much that's changed you. You're a different person now. And so I think that's a really large reason as to why we don't see, you know, generally politicians aren't the best people. Um, and in, in media, it's, there's there's a lot of that too, because, you know, I, and I, I'll say, I mean, I've, I've definitely compromised as well mm-hmm. to some extent. So y- you know that there's maybe certain things you can't say or words that you need to use to, to kind of fit in. So you over time, you do compromise a lot because that's the only way to sort of go through the ranks Mm -hmm. and at a certain point yeah you've compromised now you've got something to lose too um and you know i guess for me there was like a bit of a turning point where i've decided there is a level of sacrifice that i'm willing to sort of make to be more honest good yeah and that's something that took a lot to arrive at a lot of emotions a lot of uh, worries um, I can't say that I'm like a hundred percent will just say anything. I still mm-hmm. have a level of, of self-censorship, but, um, well, there's certain things you don't need to say. Certain <laughs> things I don't need to say. There's certain things that I'm like, those are not topics that I spend a lot of time thinking about or learning about or have mm-hmm. like that much of a caring about. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm happy not to talk about it and not to get, you know, myself into hot water un- unnecessarily. Um, but certain things I think are really important and I spent a lot of time thinking about it and talking about it. And um, those are the things that I want to be able to speak more honestly about. And I think I try to do it in a way that's like very common sense and mm-hmm. try to work. I think the best way to do it, like I, I was surprised that I didn't get into any trouble with some of the stuff I posted on my Substack. 
And I've been thinking about why that is. Either people who don't like that kind of stuff just don't read it. That That's probably the case. I think some the people going to Substack after a certain honest kind of sure but like the people who follow me on twitter i mean they're really all over the place i mean some of them have certainly a lot of them have pronouns in their bios and all that kind of stuff um so you would think that some of them might not like uh, what i have to say but i think the reason that i haven't gotten tech is i try to do it walk people through it like how did i arrive at that mm -hmm. thought what are the questions that i continuously ask myself and I think maybe that kind of walks people to where I'm going with it. And I think rather than being very dramatic about it and just was antagonistic, which I see a lot of people have become as a sort of a reaction to what's well, happening. Antagonist, antagonism is, can be rewarding. It's I'm very a, rewarding. You get a lot more clicks. Yeah, I, I've done it myself. Uh, did it this morning. I was trying to antagonize Mark Cuban, but you know. Uh, well, I'm probably not never going to be like massively popular because I don't do that. And well, memeing when you meme, you're antagonizing, but yeah. sometimes that's important. I can see it in some context. Yeah. I've thought about it. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm right on this particular topic or not. It's just what I've decided for myself. Um, I can see the point of view of people who do think you have to go more aggressively strong. That that display of power has a place, and then. I've been thinking what's like the most effective way to to also dismantle something, but also somewhat kind is like if how can you make it into so much of a joke that it's that you can see show the person that's such nonsense that they can laugh at it. That's yeah. that will take incredible skill and talent to do that. But that's the most powerful thing is like how can you show that person that they're being ridiculous without causing them to lose face and allowing them to laugh at it themselves. Well, as somebody who's on the receiving end for a lot of this and got a lot in the last 24 hours, um, what I would say, what, what has worked for me is, what doesn't work, uh, personal insults just do not work. No, well, what happens if you mock, you know, with the vaccine, a lot of people who are like, uh, you know, going after anti-waxers, some of them genuinely even believe that like by mocking them, they'll they'll get vaccinated. I'm like, no, all you're doing is you're, you're pushing them further yeah. away. And when you push someone, when you mock them, when you belittle them, uh, you go aggressively against them, they just get stronger in their yeah. own position. Well, it's, and, and also just personal insults, um, it's not nice to hear. No, it's not um, nice to hear. And it's a not nice thing to do. No. So, and I generally just, if it's just a personal insult, I tend to block or mute. I just don't care. Um, so that doesn't work. Uh, aggression yeah. uh, uh, invalidates uh, 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 criticism, I think, sometimes. But what does work is two things work. Memes memes work because if... A, if, if it's a, funny. If, yeah, if people find it funny and, like, if, if you can laugh at yourself and, you know... Uh, if you can be self-critical, you can actually say, okay, have they got a point here? Am I being a dick? Okay, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. And also constructive criticism. I really like constructive criticism. When somebody's like, do you know what, Pete? I love your show, but I think you got this wrong here. And it, it makes me think, okay, yeah, maybe you got a point. Well, I used to believe in like full-on freedom of speech. You can say anything to me, right? I've, I've changed my mind. I mean, I do believe in freedom of speech, but in terms but of like my own... But you have freedom own, to ignore them. I have a freedom to ignore them, exactly. So where I've changed is this. I um, basically, before I would engage, I, I would be tempted to engage with anybody, even if they went after me in a very hostile, rude way. Now I actually kind of shifted my point of view in this. 
I will engage with anybody who challenges my view, but they have to do it in a respectful way. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, the blog button, which I never used in the past, I, I have had I have had some practice. Oh, no, that. I block fuckers all the time. I've blocked like 10 people in the last people night. People didn't used to go after me, so no, that's also part them. of it. No, because yeah. some people say, just mute them, then they, they shout into the, like, into the ether. I'm like, no, fucking block them. Let them know. Let them know. Yeah, somebody, somebody just like comes at me and like, you're a fucking idiot. It's like, block, bye, done. done. Yeah, yeah. Done, see ya. Well, in my case, shit. I mean, I was being kind of like heavily harassed and... I wasn't sure because my point of view in the past was, oh, you just let people do what they want to do. But yeah, I've definitely another, I had some good advice on that. Another trick I found is to lean into things. Like, like, lean, like if there's criticisms of you that become regular, I tend to lean into it or make a joke of it. Yeah. So uh, uh, if, if someone's like, uh, you're a moron, I'm like, yeah, I know. Well, I was being called, I don't monetize yet. Well, I was being called like a white supremacist, which is ridiculous. Yeah. So now That's hard I've to sort lean of embrace. Well, no, I sometimes come into like uh, I'll meet somebody. I said, "Well, you should know that I'm a white supremacist." <laughs> <laughs> I have this uh, writing group I'm part of, and one day I told him, "Like, guys, um, I should tell you, I'm um, so apparently I'm a white supremacist." And the reaction was like, you know, laugh like over-the-top laughter. I'm like, that's the right reaction. <laughs> but it's good. And, and, and I, I sometimes agree with people. It's really good to agree with someone who's, mm. who's critical of you. And like, you know, like if someone come and go, you're a moron, you don't understand this. And I'll, be, I'll just reply, reply like, facts. <laughs> I love that, yeah, actually. That's, like, that's a good, because what are they going to say to that? Yeah, they can't say anything. And also, it makes you, because you can... Um, you can just take it to heart sometimes, but at least if you do it like that, you can laugh about it yourself. But like it's a minefield. And some, you, also, you don't know who you're... I mean, sometimes I've spent hours arguing with someone with like 12 followers whose avatar is like a blue banana or something. It's like, what the fuck, the fuck am I arguing? This, this could be someone who's mentally ill, or like angry at the world. And, you know, so sometimes you can, you can waste your time in a bit. The filters on Twitter are also great. Mm -hmm. If you take the filters down to get rid of people with no profile, people who've just joined, people who don't, you don't follow, like get rid of all that and just keep your day free yeah I, i've actually been surprised there have been a couple instances where i started in a bit of a hostile way and then the person would actually apologize to me by the were end you of rational it. with them it's very rational yeah. be ra yeah. rational is a good thing yeah i think over uh, a good tactic is like really over explaining everything to someone just walking them step by step that can actually be extremely effective if you have the patience. Well, like I say, laughing at yourself, agreeing with them, rationally talking through it. What doesn't work, arguing back. I've done that. Arguing defensiveness, back. Yeah, defensiveness, apologizing. Defensiveness, apologizing. Away, yeah. being, being a bit arrogant, which I don't imagine you would do, but I would do. But like those things just don't work. In the inside of my head, lots of arrogance as, as people very close to me can <laughs> we haven't uh, We haven't got to counseling. No. I want to talk about council okay, culture with you. Okay, let's talk about cancel culture. Let's talk culture. about council culture. Let's do it. How do we get rid of it? How do we create an uncancel culture? Uh, well, in my, my view is, and maybe I'm wrong, but um, cancel culture has really been allowed to happen because people have been so silent. So I think we need to really um, empower people, like give, give them a community, you know, like... I think a lot of people have been canceled, have found each other and are like a community together. Um, but, you know, when I was going, I was going through my own little <laughs> cancel experience. And what I found is like a lot of people would write me uh, these emails saying, you know, I, I really, I'm seeing what's happening and it's wrong. Uh, and it, but I feel so ashamed because I 
don't feel like I'm too scared to publicly defend you. I know this. Oh God, I know a lot about this. Okay. Uh, what can we? Can you talk about what happened? Your own sure. Situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. I mean, I did write about it. <laughs> so, oh. um, so uh, I ran a group for uh, women writers, women and gender non-conforming writers. It was an offshoot of a of a bigger group, and I had about thirty thousand members. It was on Facebook, and it was just like a private group. But at this point, this. They've outed themselves. So, okay. <laughs> um, what was the goal of the group? It was called the Binders Group. So part of it was like because it was binders full of like women. Uh, they they thought it was like you know had to do with that. Um, what's his name? The guy who was running for office and said he had binders full of women. Republican. Oh, yes. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, um, it was it was a helpful group. There are many offshoots. My particular group that I launched was just jobs, right? I only allowed job postings. That's all it was. And um, Sounds highly controversial. Yeah, yeah, super controversial. Well, um, and it was about, you know, um, for four or five years, you know, I even had a write-up in the New York Times about this mentorship program that I ran through the group. And so, um, so one day somebody posts a job opening at Fox News and that person just got this massive pylon. And she's even like very apologetic about mm-hmm. how she posted. She's like, you know, we're trying to change things and bring <laughs> more diversity in. Was, she just like personal attacks. So I posted a message saying, hey guys, like let's not have personal attacks and let's keep politics out of this group. And a lot, you know, we had a lot of coming apart. Let's come together. What I thought was a pretty kumbaya mm-hmm. uh, post, if anything. Just from that post alone, I, I was like, that's where the white supremacist came. Um, mm-hmm. Got a, called ableist because I like somebody's comment who um, she said, these women, they're crazy for piling on on me. <laughs> um, I forgot. Like, I was, I mean, it was very raw at the time. Now it feels like so silly and distant. But, um, but when, you're, when you're in the fire, and some, something I sometimes say to people who maybe don't have a following, it's like, when you're attacking someone and joining the mob, the one thing you don't understand is what it's like when the internet comes after you. And even though it's not real world and you shouldn't give a fuck, uh, and I give less of a fuck over time, when it first happens, it's rough. Yeah. Well, it was. It was really rough. And there's like a lot of things that happened with it that I never even really talked about because it just was kind of mindful. I didn't want to turn into like a victim narrative. Um, But it was... Yeah, people started harassing me, um, trying to write, find my editor so they can, you know, cancel me from being able to be employed. They said we have long memories. They would send me pictures of like tiki tor- mobs with tiki torches. Um, downvoted all the content that I had online. Commented on my Twitter, like everything they could do. They tried to figure out how to like hurt me, and tried to do articles. They didn't name me in the ones they came up, which was interesting. I think they were a little bit afraid of <laughs> libel lawsuits, perhaps. Um, and um, yeah, so it was. It, it just exploded. It, it, it was made worse by another thing, which was that I said that I would open because they said that the only for me not to have politics is an act of violence, and and you can't have. Um, not politics in a group that's for women. That's inherently a political thing. So I said, and this one I did, like, I knew I would get a little bit of shit for it. But What I, did you do? 
What did you do? <laughs> I didn't think I'd get that much, but um, it was, I decided to open up the group. I said, well, if, if, if you believe that I can't have a group like this uh, be non-political and I want it to be non-political, then, uh, and uh, by the virtue that it's just women, well, I'm going to open it up to everyone. Okay, so that that is... That uh, really is where it like exploded. It's kind of a, you're kind of, Hmm. Are you make? Are you trying to make a point? There is a part of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fair. Yeah. I think it's fair. Yeah. There was. There was definitely. Okay. I mean, you know, I did think I was being fair because I said I'll give you a month if you want to leave okay. or if you yeah, want to stay. Totally and also, if somebody wants to create another group that's just for women, feel free, and I'll amplify it. And you can even have the name. We'll change the name of this one. It's but a bit that like, was being fair. It's a bit like what Brian Armstrong has done with Coinbase. Um, he decided to remove the politics from his company and say, we are a mission-driven business. And this, by the way, this is somebody who's taken a lot of criticism in the Bitcoin world. A lot of Bitcoiners do not like Brian Armstrong for some of the things he's done. The part of that's on one side. He said, we're not going to be a political business. We are a mission-driven business. This is what our mission is. Politics will not form part of what we do. It's not going to influence yeah, internally. should not be political. They should, but, they, but they are. Yeah, I know. But, and he said... He, he offered a very uh, uh, generous severance package for anyone who said, okay, I don't, want, I, I don't want to work for this company. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was like six months. I, I should research it. But um, he offered a very generous severance package for anyone who didn't agree and let them leave. And he said, we're a f- mission-focused business. And I thought it was fucking brilliant what he did. And it sounds similar to what you've done there. It's like, okay... Well, and I thought it I mean, I really did think it was fair because I was trying genuinely to be fair. So, yes, I was sending a message to an extent. I also feel like at this point, journalism is, um, you know, um, there's actually way more women, uh, uh, you know, in journalism than there's men. Um, but so I, so I felt like in some ways I'm contributing to a certain inequality that's being formed. But... Um, but I did it, you know, yeah, because I wanted to open it up. I didn't want it to have the political, you know, and, and if that's what they believe, that's what they believe. And they have the right to have their own groups. Um, they created a, a, a counter group that was like called um, the anti-racist group. Like the, they took the name 2.0 and then it's like the anti-racist version. And if you read the rules for joining, they're quite interesting. And they actually ended up kicking out the person who created that group. So there's so much there that was also like about power. I, mm-hmm. I had other people who came after me who like clearly were trying to manipulate me and were lying to me. Like, I just never thought that people would think that way. So I didn't see it right away. But then I was warned. And um, it's all about control. It's a control. And I, for me, I never, I mean, this group, but like honestly, I, I it was, it was community service right like mm-hmm. i have zero benefits from running a group like this it only sucks my time like certainly there was nothing t- for me that was like about power but those people who were going after me they really saw they saw me as this villain because like you know they saw it in terms of power and that's how they view the world and they really yeah i was very very aggressive and then i wrote um i decided to write a newsweek piece about it and it was called The Rise of the Righteous Online Bullies. And... <laughs> I mean, it's, you only have to look into history to understand the implications of cancel culture. Sure. Well, I, I'll tell you, like, even that piece, I was scared to death to write it. I thought I was going to destroy... By making this even more public, I thought mm-hmm. I was going to, like, destroy my life. 
career. And my parents were trying to talk me out of it. Yeah, I mean, there's certain things you don't go the parents for advice from. Yeah, so, they one were of those like, things is like modern life. Yeah, so mm, people didn't necessarily. And, and other people are like, this is great. Um, anyways, I, I did publish it. I did expect fully to be, you know, canceled and all that kind of stuff. Actually, that didn't happen at all. And I think most people... People who had common sense understood where I stood with it, even if, you know, it wasn't about Fox at all, right? It was, it was about human decency. And it was about, you know, you, like, I don't have to like Fox. I, I don't. I don't like CNN either. I mean, I think they all do terrible work. <laughs> so much, I actually have written for CNN. So I've well, the, th- yeah, but the thing is for me, but, uh, I don't see much of a difference between CNN and Fox. I no, don't. fair enough. I look but, at it more from from the point of view of like, uh, you know, how well they do their job. But also, it's not for me to say this or that. Like, why am I deciding? Let people decide for themselves. I mean, nobody goes after LinkedIn for, for I'm sure LinkedIn posts lots of jobs about Fox News. But, but the thing is, is that Fox News, conservatism is seen as something which is open, like Open to be cancelled. Any kind of person who because is, Fox is killing people. But but <laughs> but CNN is the acceptable face of of the other side of the mirror. Yeah, and it's and it's weird for me because I I can see I can see the problems with both. They're sure. doing the same job, but it feels like the liberal groups have have decided that they can cancel people. That's it. If we have these views we don't like, if there's words we, we use we don't like, if there's certain uh, opinions we don't like, there's certain ways of operating your business we don't, don't like, we're going to counsel you. But it's one of the most destructive things we have in society right now because we need free speech. We need people to be able to express themselves. Again, we need ideas to be able to do battle with each other so that they can arrive at, at a better place. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's... I've tried to understand the points of views of, of the people that feel like Fox is responsible for killing people. It's a little bit difficult. Well, I, mean, I understand they, they can be causing harm in the sense that they're spreading, you know, I mean, false information and such. But do we need to talk, you know, with those people, do we need to talk about, I think it's the New York Times reporting for the Iraq war. Yeah, yeah, I no. Mean, it's, let's have the uncomfortable conversations. Well, that's the thing. You're right. It, it's very one-sided. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. You should be able. I think somebody tried to call me out in a public forum, and it took me a little while to realize that that's what was happening. Mm. So I started answering her question, not realizing that's what was happening. But the way I was going to answer her question, because yeah, she she thought that Fox was doing these terrible things, and I'm like, okay, cool. What are these things? And and let's like let's address those things. Like, are they printing false facts? What about other publications? Stop that are trying to be rational. I know. I think that's the problem with the world in a way, right? Like the irrationality of <sighs> it's the screaming mob. It's the screaming mob, which has been amplified. I, I do think social. You know, I didn't. I don't think I recognize how bad, <laughs> how much damage social media has done in that respect. Mm-hmm. I I did see it as a. I saw the positivity of it too. Like, and mm-hmm. I still do, but. Um, but it's also, it, it has created this problem. I'd love to talk to like a psychologist about this because 
you know, mob psychology is really fascinating, but usually we think of mobs as like, you know, out in the streets and people behave very rationally, very differently than they would if they weren't part of this mob in the streets. Like, you know, you look at, you know, sports riots and things like that. But now you're in this, um, yeah, now, you know, in this online digital age, perhaps there is something similar to that psychology. Perhaps something does happen that causes people to lose that rationality to join these forces and find this like there's this like weird desire to have this consensus things are complicated right like there isn't just one answer for a lot of things there's a lot of things i'm completely undecided on like yep. we, we were talking about abortion earlier on like i can very much like I used to only hear the religious argument, but then I've heard some other arguments that are not based in religion at all. And actually they're fairly rational. And ultimately where you sit on that side of the debate, it's going to be to some extent just emotional to your core value, way of feeling. Well, I, I always think the debate is, it's not a debate, uh, it's not a pro-life, uh, pro-choice debate. I think it's a time debate. That's yeah. what I think it is because I, and I think... a lot of people do, actually. Yeah, because if you speak to most people and they say, look, I'm pro-choice. Okay, so uh, what do you think about somebody who is uh, nine months pregnant and they're due to have a cesarean tomorrow and they have a, an abortion today? It's like, well, that's... No, they shouldn't be doing that. It's terrible. So the debate is... Yeah, where, I don't know where, a single person who is pro-life who thinks that some... Well, there, there, there are some There are some, there are yeah, some exceptions. They think but, but if we're talking about like... Separate medical... Yeah, you know, in certain like situations, get there. The general speaking, a, like a, a, a convenience. I mean, abortion. there are definitely some people who think you should have it any time because that, you know. But but that's like a small, and this is kind of the problem we're facing, right? We have these very small groups of of very extreme points of views in in either side, but those people represent such a tiny number. But because their voices have become so loud. They they kind of run the conversation. Have you heard that um, term, the eighty percent exhausted? Oh yeah, yeah. There's an article I'm trying to get out. It's like ten percent are extreme left, ten percent are extreme right, and everyone else is the eighty percent exhausted. And it's these two yeah. who are fighting and arguing and deciding everything that we're all having to put up with. Yeah, and that's probably where the council people are. But well, it's absolutely. I, this is what I've come to believe because at first you feel it feels like you're like, yeah, everyone's against you because there's so many people, right? But I counted counted how many people left my group because my group is still going. I actually, it is it is still for women because I've decided that. You know, it is how I've created originally. And I did try to be fair in that way. I tried to uh, not let the other people sort of, the loud voices dictate, but the sensible people mm -hmm. I did listen to. But um, the, yeah, with that one, so looking, so I had about 30,000 members. When I counted how many people left, it was 1%. It's loud, tiny, yes, loud, loud, aggressive, and that one. But what that one percent is so powerful, right? Because even though they really should hold no power, um, it makes people feel like they're the they're a a majority. B they silence everyone else. Everyone is, is completely terrified. Like Please. when they see it happen to you, like you can say anything that's slightly wrong, and bam, they're scared of the they're scared of the bully. They're, but these generally are, I think, are quite stupid people because they don't understand. The historical context of their behavior of counseling. Right. We, 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 you, you only have to read a few history books to understand the historical context of counseling and what it actually means for society. Um, I want to know how we... Look, I think there are certain things that you 
can be cancelled for, and I think perhaps they're okay. Certain there are, yeah, certain, certain I, I will, I will, laws being yeah, broken yeah. or certain laws or yeah, abuse. you know what? There's people who who this is it always gets conflated, right? It's like mm. they call it accountability culture. It's not the same thing, you know. If somebody literally, you know, yes, uses does something horrible, right? Like uh, truly abhorrent. Yes, mm. there's there is consequences. I mean, that's not usually what we're talking about. One thing is we have the same punishment for everyone regardless of what their crime is. And two, there's a lot of people being punished who really haven't done anything We're talking wrong. about opinion-based counselling because that's, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, well, well, right, and that's... But really, how do we... Re- that's the thing I, I want, want to know how we remove that from... Like, how do we, yeah. how do we stop the counselling? How do we... Because I know... I, I, look, even as some of those you know, people who try to counsel me, I know everyone I speak to, they think it's bullshit. They think this is bullshit. Like, how do we end this culture? Well, I think there's only a few things that I can think of right now. So one is like, yes, like people have to not be afraid to stand up to the bullies, right? Mm-hmm. That's the only way to end a bully, right? It's, Takes us back to Rogan, right? Yeah. People were willing to lead from Correct. the front. Correct, exactly. And two, there are people who are uh, maybe in positions like you hear all the time, like academic positions, for example, um, you know, A, the students can rally again, you know, for their professors, but also um, sometimes there's like lawsuits that go on, right? There's been some people who maybe have been harassed, their professors I've been hearing about where they've been harassed in their... Well, this is what happened to Brett Weinstein. Yeah. Evergreen College. He was harassed by a, a woke mob. Yeah. But his students supported him. So that was kind of interesting. But the, 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 the institution did not. No. This is the difference. I talked to a lot of people who face these things uh, lately. And um, some of them have had different, very different, vastly different experiences. So um, one person I talked to, basically his, his institution absolutely supported him. Wrote a letter almost like F you to the, to the mob. Um, others took part in the harassment, right? So I, I was just reading today about this woman uh, at a university where she's suing them for the harassment. And so that's another place where people can like support somebody like that, where they can, you know, financially support the lawsuits, for example. I think you have to, I mean, I had a situation, for example, where somebody was like literally slander, making things up about me, mm-hmm. hurting my reputation, slandering me, like, Blatant, not a misinterpretation, like making it up. And I did consider suing the person. Don't want to go through a lucid lawsuit. It no. wasn't like an emotional thing. I don't care about her. Um, however, there has to be a consequence for making something up, right? Like that was my feeling. Well, the you, but then you get into the uh, difficult area of free speech because, you, mm. you know, is it made up? Is it like, I mean, I'm, well, I'm involved in a lawsuit myself at the moment because mm. I said some words about right. somebody which I think were fair and accurate. But that's ideas. different. You're, you're saying an opinion. She can say her opinion. She say, I think Catherine is a horrible person, right? Yeah. That's mm. okay. No, mine was minor accusations of... Oh. of um, but are they I can't true? Talk about it. Okay, I but, mean, I think yes, they are true. I can't talk about it, but yeah. Fair enough. But in my situation, it was provably false. Like, okay. like it wasn't like you could look at the record. Like I never, like, there was never anything said. It was impossible for it to be real, or true. Like yeah. completely impossible. So that was like made up. Like, but this is why you need your own cohort who supports you. Yeah. Do you know what I think is the, the, the issue with these people? I think they're the weakest people in society. I think people who go out as join a mob. I think some if somebody is a strong character, they can debate. Well, they're seeking power, of course. Yeah. yeah. But people of strong character want to sit down, debate, 
discuss yeah. and work through these people. The people who join a mob, they have weak character, they're insecure, they seek power. Um, and I, I think they're the weakest people in society. But I just like, how do we fuck do we change this culture to say, I don't want any more of this. Fuck this shit. But really, like, how, I mean, I, I, I personally have come to the conclusion that it is the complicity, you know, it is the fear. And, uh, and I get it. I don't judge people for it. Like when I had people writing to me and saying how ashamed they were, but they wanted some more, I write them back and I'd say, you know, I really, it means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And I really meant it. After further reflection though, I thought about it and I'm like, but that is how we got here. So if this is, if we want to change it, we do, it does take a certain like courage. And I never, you know, th this is something too. Courage is an interesting word. I, I thought I would see these people stand up to things and I thought, man, they have so much courage. And I would try to ask them like, oh, how did you find this courage? And I don't think it's courage. I've come to the conclusion that oh, what it is. It's a lack of courage. Well, I've come to the conclusion that those people who, who do stand up to things, um, it's because they have the sense of moral obligation, yeah, right or wrong. And that should be what's dictating. So I do understand somebody in a position, especially if they have like a family and a job. I do get it. I very, you know. Hey, listen, there, there was um, video footage based in Victorian Australia where a guy was saying to the policeman, what are you doing? Like, why are you part of this? He's like, because I've got kids and I've got family and I've got to make sure I can feed them. Yeah. Which is a broken system again. It is a broken system. Yeah, so maybe I don't have beyond like that individual responsibility answer and, you know, maybe supporting people if they do lawsuits where the institutions are working aggressively against them and stifling their, their speech um, or canceling them. I, I don't know if I have a better solution than that or suggestion than that. Do you? Do you? Well, no, I don't. Yeah. No, I don't. I think it needs more people to stand up and yeah. be honest. And I think we are seeing that changing media at the moment where the individual as a media has taken on the the institution of media, Rogan versus CNN, I think is a great example. I think they've done things to try and cancel him. I think it's like soft cancelling they're trying to do and they're losing that battle. And I think the more wins we get for the individuals against these yeah. fuckers, the better it is. I think the more we talk about it, the better. Uh, but I also think parts of society have to play out and crash and burn, so people realize like this was this was not what yeah. we meant to do. Yeah, I mean that may be the case. I would like it not to be, but it might have to be the case. For me, um, you know, I was also told like in terms of like my own sort of personal risk with that is like you know what's the you're just a person, you're not going to change anything. You don't have a huge, you know, and you're just going to like sacrifice your own like livelihood and career for nothing. And I guess my answer to that was, so yeah, I'm not like a hugely famous person or anything like that. But when I've when I speak more honestly, when I'm and, and when I take a certain position, it does in my in the, in the little group that I influence, it does change things. And I had people reach out to me who would, A, they wouldn't feel as alone. Two, they, there's people who reached out to me and said, you know, I saw this happen and I stood out for this person, right? I mean, I think even though we're just one individual, 
we still, we, we encounter a lot of people in our lives. And if those people spread it to other people, like hopefully it spreads. And I know it's like a super Pollyanna kind of view in some ways, but. No, think of it like a band, you know, like music. Uh, when somebody picks up a guitar and they meet with their friends, they form a band and they turn around to their parents and say, look, I'm going to be in a band. The parents are like, why are you going to do that? You're not going to make it. Like go and get a fucking proper job. But they do and they write some songs and they can play at a local venue and two people turn up and, yeah, I interviewed this band, The Ghost Inside. They used to tell me, they said they used to go to a show, 15 people would be there, and they knew they had to sell like three shirts so they could afford the gas to get to the next one. But they said they would tell a few more people and they would tell a few more people and eventually they'd get 100 people a show, 1,000 people a show. If you stick to your guns and you're authentic, you might start with an audience of one and that becomes five, 50, 100. And yeah. Then you have your 1,000 subscribers and you're earning 100,000 a That's year. That's right. And I, and I have found the other thing with it is um, even though, like say, my, my Twitter following is mm-hmm. not nearly as impressive as yours, but... I do have certain people who follow me who have huge um, Twitter followings and, and, and they often will amplify uh, certain messages. So this is why like I've been like valuing Twitter more lately is because like I actually have the opportunity to reach more people. And the reason those people do it, I think, is because they want to support somebody when they are speaking up again yeah. <laughs> for, for something, you know? Um, yeah, so it's... Uh, I think that's uh, an important thing too. So let me ask you a question, final question. Please. Why do people vote for Trump? <laughs> well, there's many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer it. Um, I, I can, but yeah, there's many reasons. I think I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, is somebody going to go into a whole list of reasons yeah. or they're going to see that whole group of people as just this one thing? Well, I I trust people who look for nuance. And I always try and do it myself and I fail repeatedly. Even this morning, I, I was a bit of a shit to Mark Cuban tweeting about him. Uh, I, was, I built a straw man. Um, I want a steel man and silk man. There's another term that's I've never even heard of a silk man. It's, it's this guy. I wish I remembered his name right now. Angel is his first name, but he's, he, he's created this thing called this silk man argument. He's, I really like how he approaches things. I'm going to have to read that. Um, look, it's great to get to know you. It's great to meet you. Thanks for coming and hanging out with the Bitcoiners. I think you will find a captive audience in there for uh, some of your work. Um, uh, I do love your writing. Please tell people where they can find you. Well, thank you, first of all, uh, very much. And uh, now that I'm part of the cult, you know, I feel... You're in. Yeah, I'm in. And in terms of where people can find me, so I'm Mysterious Cat, uh, K-A-T, not C-A-T, on Twitter. I also still never go by the name cat just fyi because yeah. <laughs> i'm a dog person and also you can find my link to my substack on my twitter but it's uh it's either katherine brodsky.substack.com or randomminds.substack.com brodsky is b-r-o-d-s-k-y you're good well yeah i mean <laughs> you know good. what people butcher <laughs> uh, do you know what it was it's um I looked it up when, you know, when you were coming to meet us, I looked it up and I was like, thinking to myself, how do you pronounce it? Brodsky? Brodsky? You know, if you mispronounced it, I could have said it's a microaggression. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that stuff. Uh, So uh, once you said it, then I was like, I just remembered the spelling. You actually pronounced it like perfectly. 
Broski. Oh, I also. I'm Is not, it like, like should it be really like Russian? Like, Brod- I can't do Russian accent. So Broski. Brodsky. Yeah, I can't do that. Yeah, role. you know it's funny. Like I, I, I won't say my my real name on here, but um, but I have like a legal name that's a little bit different from my. Bit more Russian. Uh, bit more Russian, and people always like butcher it. And uh, you know, I should start accusing them of microaggressions. But really, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm ha- ha- half unsure how to pronounce it myself because <laughs> I say it so rarely. Well, listen, thank you for coming on. This was awesome. Um, I wish you the best. Stay in touch. I'm sure we're going to hang out again and speak again in the future. But yeah, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I look forward to the things you write in the future. Thank you so much. It's fun. And I'm, I'm enjoying your show. I've been watching some of them. Thank <laughs> so, you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch with me, the best thing to do is head over to our Telegram channel. Otherwise, you can hit me up on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And if you want to support the show, please just head over to Apple Podcasts. Go and leave me a review. Hopefully, you think the show deserves five stars. All right, I'll see you all soon. 